Welcome to All Words and No Pictures, conversations with artists and the like, moderated by me, Sarah Carp Brown, an artist based in Southern California. In this episode, I talk with Indiana artist Heidi Harner about her transition from representational to abstract painting and finding inspiration on her family's one-acre prairie. We dive right into the conversation. Tell me a little bit about where where you are geographically, and okay. um, just a little bit about the the work that you're doing um, at the moment. Okay. Well, right now I well I have been living in Lafayette, Indiana, for the past goodness thirty years, I think. Um, my husband and I have a couple of acres on just outside of town, and we installed a one-acre prairie, so we're we're prairie nerds, and a lot of my work recently is based on or inspired by the beautiful prairie plants that we have coming up every summer. Oh, interesting. What is a? Pra- I know when you say a prairie nerd, that means it's, you're sort of returning the landscape to its uh, natural. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we didn't want to mow two acres. <laughs> so, uh, but I, my family is originally from North Dakota. So there's, there's a lot of prairie up there and, you know, maybe that's just kind of stuck in my psyche or something. Um, but I'm just very inspired by, by native plants and how they, they're so hardy. They, you don't have to water them. You don't have to mess with them. Um, and they're just fascinating and they attract so many pollinators, um, it's just fun to go out there and see all the activity. It's such a busy place. <laughs> wow, nice. You've uh, sort of lived out the the process of exploring and evolving your artistic style. Uh, um, and I want to go back to how you got started, but that sort of feeds into this whole narrative because you went from, well, actually doing graphic work to then mm-hmm. representational work and equine and plein air and then abstracted figures and now you're doing completely abstract work and this happened you evolved over a number of years so why don't you talk a little bit about that evolution um okay in style okay so i really did want to be a fine artist uh while i was entering college or thinking about you know what degree was i going to get and i just thought if I just get a, not just, but if I get a degree in fine art, what can I really do with that? And I was thinking practically, you know, afterwards, and I didn't want to teach. So I did, just didn't know what to do. So I went into graphic design, which is similar to arts, very creative. And so um, I'm really glad I did. It's been, it's been really helpful over the years, just kind of I don't know, helping out my art career in a way. I used to make my own business cards and little brochures and stuff like that. So it was just really fun to have to have that knowledge and skill. And I did work as a graphic designer for several years after college. Um, but I just, I don't know, it just didn't feed my soul. <laughs> so when my husband uh, got out of grad school um, and got his first good job, I just decided... I really just want to do art full time. So I, I did that. And that was probably, oh, 15 years ago or so, kind of four years into our marriage, I think. So I started out doing pet portraits and I would paint people's horses, dogs. I did a chicken. <laughs> I did, um, I just did all kinds of animals. It was really fun. 
And actually, I got into this really neat, there's a Mary Englebright Home Companion magazine. And I had entered my, just submitted some of my, my pet portraits to them. And they published it. They, I had this like three inch ad, not even an ad. It was just like a, a little tiny column that they had that was dedicated to, I think, artists and with animals, maybe. I can't remember. But anyway, I got into that magazine and I had so many people contact me. It was really awesome. So I got work for about two years just from that one little thing. And so I think just being able to paint a lot like that, it really helped my skill. Um, so that, that was just a fun thing. And then I think I just, after that kind of fizzled out, I was continuing with uh, horse paintings and trying to get into the equine art world, which is really competitive. I mean, all the any art world is competitive. But um, as I was trying to get into galleries, um, they just really wanted super realistic equine paintings. And I, I, I was feeling that's not the direction I wanted to go. I was kind of getting a little bit frustrated and wanting to branch out a little bit, not have it be so photorealistic. I wanted to be able to express myself from within, and I had no idea how to do that. Um, and then, lo and behold, I met David Slonim, and he is my current mentor, probably lifetime art mentor. Um, he just has this ability to um, teach the elements and principles of design that are important in a good piece of artwork. You, I'm going to now go back to when you, sure. you said you always wanted to be a fine artist. What, when you were, was that when you were a, a child or? Um, I don't think I knew as a kid. I just, I loved art as a kid. I was always, always going off on my own with my pencils and my notebooks or whatever, and just drawing and creating these little worlds, I guess, for myself. It maybe it was a way to entertain myself uh, as we were moving from state to state and, and not making friends right away. I had to kind of, you know, make my own fun. Um, but I don't think it was until, well, I do remember after college, I was actually travel. I was out West. I decided I don't want a job right now. I just want to play for a while. So I worked at the Breckenridge Ski Resort and Lake Powell and all that, those cool places. But I remember just um, one night kind of, well, praying, I'm, I'm a prayer, and just really thinking, I really want to be a fine artist. I don't know how or what yet, but that's kind of the direction that I definitely want to go. And so that was so long ago, um, but I've been able to hang on to that desire because I do feel like it's it's in me. It was just put in me somehow. And I'm sure other people can relate to that, um, whether they're musicians or actors or writers or um, sport, you know, football players, you know, there's just something in you that you'd feel this is, this is what I need to do. And were, were there artists that you found inspiring uh, early on? How has you know, that changed? It's, it's, it's funny. I, I didn't, really have my art heroes until probably the last 10 years where I really started digging in and studying the masters and, um, and then getting into the, the abstract expressionists from the 1960s. Uh, those are probably my favorite group of, of artists. 
Um, but yeah, and I'm continually looking at them, studying them. And I love seeing new artists, um, contemporary artists that are similar to what I'm doing. And it's just so, so cool. And sometimes I get really jealous because <laughs> I'm like, wow, why couldn't have I done that? So I, I wanted to circle back then to the, the prairie and how, in addition to being inspired by other artists, you're inspired increasingly by the natural world that yeah. you see yeah. literally outside your door. What are some of the native native plants in particular that um, that are cultivated in the, or not cultivated, that sort of appear? And did you have to plant the prairie or does it just spring up? We, yeah, we, you have to plant it. Um, otherwise it would just, if some people think if you just let it go and naturalize it, it'll turn back into prairie, but really you just get a field of weeds. So, um, we had to kill all the weeds and whatever was growing. It was actually a farmer's wheat field. And then we had it literally installed, um, all the seeds, uh, with a no-till drill. So we hired a farmer and he came out and, and we did that. So, um, and it's so interesting how the prairie changes, first of all, from year to year. The first couple of years are just, it looks pretty bad. You, you have to go through the weedy stages and you're not supposed to spray and kill because these little baby prairie plants are coming up. Really, they take forever. So they actually work on their their root system first. So they're growing their roots. And sometimes it can take three years before they shoot up above the ground so it's really interesting what are the plant i mean can you yeah um some of them are like people would recognize black-eyed susans um yellow coneflower purple coneflower um there are some weird ones that ohio spiderwort that you may not be familiar with and it's a really unusual bloom um so what i love to do is go out there with my good camera and just take tons of close-ups and then i bring it back in and find some cool shapes and colors. Um, and then I just start drawing and morphing it until I come up with my own creation. It's really not a prairie plant or a flower or anything that you would really recognize, um, which is what I want. I don't want to be painting something. I want to be painting the idea of this thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, uh, well, I think that's a wonderful tie-in to where you live and what and what you're doing. So you save. Imagine you've accumulated lots of photographs. So it takes you through the winter. What happens to the prairie in the winter? It just sort of. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really interesting in the winter too. I was just out there a couple of weeks ago taking pictures, but right now it, it's it's all the grasses, the tall grasses, are turning like blonde. So it's a really monochromatic field right now but there's a lot of texture in there and then oh my goodness in the mornings when there's frost on everything and the sun's coming through it's just it's a wonderland out there it's just really cool but yeah obviously you know everything's dormant right now and then in the spring um, we usually hire somebody or a neighbor who was willing to mow it down with the big tractor and then it just comes back up again and it's it's just a fun hobby for us and is that necessary? You need to mow it in order to get it to sort of re rejuvenate in the spring? Yeah, and it just looks better because otherwise you'd have this kind of dead, you know, the dead grasses still up for a long time until the new grasses and the new plants make their way up. Because it, it takes 
probably till August before the, the tall grasses get to their full height. Um, so you have early prairies, like a foot tall with some of the blooms, and then you get the taller blooms in the um, middle of the summer. And then our, our tallest, we have some big blue stem, and it's about, oh, seven, eight feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then the Indian grass is about six feet tall. So, you know, you can you can walk through it and not and <laughs> no one will see you. We have a couple of prairie paths that Brad mows through there, and we like to walk through there. Well, that's but interesting. I never yeah. imagined it was like that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's And you can... You can have a shorter prairie. We just chose um, the lard, the taller plants. You know, we kind of we went, we worked with somebody before we did this to learn about prairies and prairie plants and all that stuff. And so, yeah, we have the the classic big blue stem. We also have little blue stem. We have switchgrass and Indian grass, and of course the like I was saying before the purple coneflower that attracts all the birds and bees and pollinators it's really fun wow that's that's really neat um so there must be this culture of, of prairie as you described yourself as a prairie nerd there must be a whole little subset of <laughs> yeah yeah and well my husband's co-workers call us um hippies and tree huggers because <laughs> we we planted like we we did go nuts, but we had to. We planted, let's see, 200. I can't remember the number now. Around 200 trees on like kind of a tr- like, like a windbreak. So on the the west and the north side of our property, we have two rows of pine trees and a row of deciduous trees, and then various others in our front yard. But yeah, we're we're definitely not a typical <laughs> green lawn kind of a family <laughs> well it sounds beautiful um how many and so the eight the the prairie is an acre is that right uh-huh yeah it's about an acre in the context of how many acres are you all together 2.3 exactly 2.3. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's still a lot I mean it's yeah. it's you know mowing an acre is still a lot and we have um we have to mow between well, and Brad does this I don't mow between the the trees in the back because otherwise the weeds you know get too high and you can't can't walk back there but and then we're supposed to burn the prairie we've only done it once um it was pretty exciting we had a we have a friend that we know that's the manager at a local Prophetstown State Park and it's all prairie out there and he brought out his equipment and he showed us how to basically throw fire (laughs) but it was in a controlled way it was really cool and but he's so busy he can only you know it's just he just did it because he's a nice guy and he we need to do it again but he hasn't been able to come out for a couple years but that's okay because mowing it works too so is there something unique about burning it that creates some something that it thrives on yeah it it kills all of the the little weeds so like like a dandelion has a root depth of about a half an inch versus big blue stem, which has a root depth of about 18 feet. Oh, so, nice. wow. yeah, so it's really neat. These prairie plants, cause they have such strong root systems. They can survive the fire where the little annoying <laughs> dandelions and, Oh, there's a hundred other 
bad weeds in there. So it, it burns those off and it allows the prairie plants that room and freedom to really thrive. So, but mowing it does, it does it as well. And now that the prairie plants are, let's see, this is our sixth season. So they're, you know, they're established and they, the root system that they create, it really does, it doesn't allow those other weeds to come up quite as much. I mean, we ha- we'll have a few out there, but really it's amazing how there are so few weeds in there compared to our grass <laughs> right next to it, which has a hundred dandelions in it all spring. Do you ever consider expanding? Um, the prairie, probably not. It's, it's pretty big right now. And, um, I mean, I sort actually, of into your, your lawn proper, you know? Oh, no, because um, just the way our house is set up, it's our, the back of our house is only about 20 feet from the prairie. And so we wanted some lawn so we could have, you know, have our dog dogs go out there and, you know, have a picnic in the back. But, yeah. yeah. Given the height, it is sort of like having a... <laughs> trees I mean they're so yeah yeah you can't see so we we have a road behind our property it's just a little county road it's not terribly high traffic but you can't see the cars that pass there it's really great because of the the tall prairie yeah um so it's, it's kind of corny but I'm seeing a sort of a parallel between letting the the roots of your prairie get established before it's visible and the the work that you've done in different kinds of, you know, different kinds of artwork in order to eventually produce the, the work that you're doing today and will do, you know, even years from now. So, uh, that's not corny at all. I, I love that analogy and I've definitely thought of that as far as just not, you can, you can apply it to anything, you know, definitely my, my work and just the, the strength to carry on, um, when there is flood or fire or famine um, and it's, you know, just in, in maturing as a person, you know, that kind of stuff, just, just having, being grounded and, and who you are and who you're made to be. And of course I'm, since I'm a Jesus follower, I, he is, he is my, my anchor. So I, I definitely have a lot of thing lots of thoughts about that. Yeah. And so now people who are looking to see your work and to buy your work, what was the name of it? Um, it's an interesting name. It's Casa Sykes. So Sykes is the family name. And Casa, I think it means for the hunt, like you're hunting for something like a treasure. So anyway, it's Casa Sykes Gallery, and it's in Cincinnati. Um, and I also, sorry, I also have a website, which yeah. um, all my work is on. And then I'm on Instagram. Probably that's my my favorite uh, social media platform to showcase my work. Okay, cool. Well, well, thank you, Heidi. I loved hearing about the prairie and the history of your uh, painting style um, and how it all ties together. Well, thanks, Sarah, for having me on. This has been really cool. My pleasure. Thanks. You can see Heidi's work on her website at HeidiAnnHarner.com or by following her on Instagram at Heidi Ann Harner. You've been listening to All Words and No Pictures. This is Sarah Cart Brown. Thanks for listening.